production. Hello, A Life of Greatness listeners. I wanted to let you know about my private Facebook group called Live Your Life Greatly. It's a space for our community of like-minded people to give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. Search Live Your Life Greatly in Facebook groups. You can also join me on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg for daily inspiration, videos and behind-the-scenes footage. Search Sarah Grimberg on Instagram. Jill Bolte-Taylor is a Harvard-trained neuroscientist. Through her wisdom, she teaches us how we can short-circuit emotional reactivity and find our way to peace by understanding the four characters that live inside our mind. In 1996, at 37 years of age, Jill experienced a severe hemorrhage in the left hemisphere of her brain, causing her to lose the ability to walk, talk, read, write or recall any of her life. She chronicled this experience in her New York Times best-selling memoir, My Stroke of Insight. In this heartfelt conversation, Jill and I discuss the power we have over our thoughts and feelings, the day her life changed forever, and the beauty in connection. Our number one job is to love one another, and everything else is a whole bunch of static neurons that really kind of need to be listened to and tamed down and organized. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Jill Bolte-Taylor is the best-selling author of Whole Brain Living, Gaining Control Over Your Thoughts, Feelings and Life. In its essence, this conversation is about defining your values and embodying them in your actions. Jill offers wisdom that is simple, straightforward and profound. I found her practices not just helpful but truly transformative. My hope is that this conversation leaves you knowing that our existence truly is a miracle and that no one day of your life will ever come again. Jill Bolte-Taylor, you are a miraculous, super intelligent neuroscientist. Your interest in the brain started because your brother has schizophrenia. Yes. Uh, When I was a little girl, uh, my brother was 18 months older than I was. And so as siblings, everywhere we went, we went together. So he was my constant companion. And at a very early age, like age three and four years old, I'm realizing that my brother and I are having the exact same experience, but his interpretation is completely different than mine. And of course, as a child, I don't know anything about the brain or that people can be not well. But all I knew was that my brother was very different from me. And so I became fascinated with what am I? What is this living being? that I am? What is a human? And I tuned into, focused on uh, vocal uh, language, facial facial language, body language, and just really uh, started observing being human. And then as I got older, it became clear that my brother was very different from me. And, um, uh, and I knew one of us wasn't Uh, neurotypical, but I didn't know which one because, of course, how would I know that? Uh, And then later it turned out that that he was um, going to be um, diagnosed with schizophrenia. And, and, And I ended up studying the brain, becoming a neuroanatomist and studying the brain. Jill, can you tell us what happened on December 10th, 1996? It was an occurrence that changed your life. It was the big day, my before and after. And I was teaching and performing research at Harvard Medical School in the Department of Psychiatry. Uh, It was my dream job. And I was comparing the brains of people who would be diagnosed as normal with brains of people diagnosed with schizophrenia, schizoaffective, OCD, panic, anxiety, looking for the cellular differences. 
and I was 37. I was in the prime of my life. And I woke up one day and I was experiencing a major hemorrhage in the left half of my brain. And over the course of four hours, I watched my brain through the eyes of a scientist shut down their ability to function one by one by one. And from a scientist to scientific perspective, it was a fascinating experience because as a neuroanatomist, I think in terms of cells and circuits and tracks of circuitry. And so I would have a problem, like I had a problem with, with sound, and I knew I could visualize that track and kind of map well, I'm having a problem here. And then, then I'd have another symptom and it's like, well, I'm having a problem here. But I'm not a neurologist. I'm not a medical doctor. I am a research scientist. So I don't have a whole lot of experience with stroke other than what I read in the, in the books. Uh, but then all of a sudden, my right arm went paralyzed by my side. And then I'm realizing, oh my gosh, I'm having a stroke. I'm having a stroke. And, and then my first thing my brain said was, wow, this is so cool. How many brain scientists have the opportunity to study their brain from the inside out? So uh, for four hours, um, I, I, it took me four hours to figure out how to, re how to get help. Uh, and then I passed out and became unconscious. And then when I woke up, I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life. And I essentially became an infant in a woman's body. Jill, what was it? like being disconnected from your brain. You say that the chatter that connects you with the external world was turned off. Can you explain that to us? When you think about the human brain, it the two halves are completely separate from one another in that they do not share any cell bodies. And the right hemisphere, and I have a brain for you right here, of course I do. So the right hemisphere is right here, right now. It brings in information about the present moment. It processes it in the present moment. And we have an experience of the present moment. The left hemisphere is very different in that this portion of our brain has the ability to have a past and a future. So the consciousness of the left hemisphere takes us to some place other than the right here, right now, present moment experience. So when you, we look at that left brain, there's a small group of cells that actually define the boundaries of where we begin and where we end. So I know that my face is my face, but these glasses on my face are not my face because of that holographic image. My brain knows where I begin and where I end. But if you wipe out those cells, then I exist like a right hemisphere conscious consciousness where I experience myself to be enormous and expansive and literally as big as the universe. So in order for me to have an individuality and an identity, I have to have that group of cells in my left hemisphere. Also in that left hemisphere are language centers. So the ability to create a sound, dog, dog is a sound, created by a group of cells, and then another group of cells places a meaning on that sound. So in the left brain, I have an identification of individuation. I become an individual. I have an ego. I have a name and a phone number and a, a whatever, all the details that relate to me. And then I have language so that I can communicate with others in the external world. And with language comes our ability to have linearity of thought. So with that linearity, I have a past, I have a present, I have a future. But I, so I think methodically using that left hemisphere and our external world is processed. We process on a hierarchy of what's above us, what's below us. We have, have uh, a, in the U.S., we have a president, we have the people, and then we have our children. Same thing true for our academic system. It is based on a hierarchy. We have a board of, of, of trustees. We have a principal. We have teachers. We have children, parents fit in there somewhere, but we have this I hierarchy. And so, so the left brain thinks logically and it organizes and the left brain then defines what is right and what is wrong because it, it says, 
I'm I'm a box and I have a box of a world and I want to organize my box and I want to control everything in my box. So I'm going to control the people, the place, the things. I'm going to control time. I'm going to be punctual. I'm going to put my stapler back where my stapler belongs. So all of those details of the external world, details, details, and more details about those details, that's what's going on in the left hemisphere. So when I lost my left hemisphere, I gained a perception of myself that I was as big as the universe. I shifted into the consciousness of the present moment experience and I felt an incredible deep inner peace. And, uh, you know, I liked it there. It was nice. How come it seems that it's so hard for us to live in the right side of our brain? And, you know, obviously there's been so much research on being in the present moment. I talk about it endlessly on this podcast, but doing a lot of research on you, Jill, and making me so aware of the right side and what that does for us and the left side, it made me think a lot about my thoughts day to day. And and it came up that even when you try so hard to be in that left side and to be so present, those thoughts of, I'm annoyed about this or this is happening and it's all past or it's all future. It's like, how do you turn that chatter off? Even when you're like trying to do it, it seems, it, it seems so yeah. difficult. It is difficult. Well, you know, we live in a world that values left brain value structure. It values what is outside of us, the opinion of the external world on the individual. We value where we are on that, on those hierarchies that we exist in. We value, we define ourselves in relationship to others through comparison. And that's so pretty much the way of most of the world. Now, not all the countries are like that. There are actually some countries that are more right brain dominant. But for those of us who are left brain dominant, I mean, we'll work 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week and wear those dark circles under our eyes in order to earn more, in order to have more, in order to gain more wealth, more fame, more more stuff, more, more, more is better. And the right brain doesn't have that value structure. But because we are in reinforcing that structure of the left hemisphere over and over and over, and in our society, we define an expert by someone who not only organizes and knows their material, knows the details of their own category, whatever it is, for me, it's brain anatomy, then and it put on top of that someone who can talk about it. So you put the, take the language skill sets and the learning skill sets of that left brain, which is what school is all about, to teach you all those skills so that we can go be more, do more, get more. Then we become left brain skewed toward that value structure. And what you're asking then is how do I set that down and how do I come to the blissful, peaceful euphoria of the present moment? And I do it by one, recognizing that my ego, my individuality, my me, my details about who I am, well, that's a construction of these cells inside of my head. So I say to that group of cells, because they're conscious, I'm conscious, and I have the ability to talk to the different parts of my brain. I have the ability to know who are the characters inside of my brain. I have the ability to have conversation between those characters inside of my brain. And I can say to those characters in the left brain, look, I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. You don't have to freak out. I would like to find a little peace. I would like to enact a different part of my brain, which is the consciousness of that right brain. So I'm going to set you down. Don't worry, not for long. And you can come on just like that if you feel there's an emergency. And you can chatter if you want. I'd like you to get quiet, though. But if you want to chatter. But I'm going to focus my attention because I have that power. We have that power as human beings to focus our attention on what we want to focus on. So I can bring my consciousness right here to this present moment. I take off my glasses immediately, as you notice, because this is focused. This is detailed. This is looking for the division between things. I don't want to look at the division between things. I want things to like blend together a little bit. And I'm out and you can see the woods. And as you look out into the woods, 
uh, you can see those leaves and the leaves are kind of tilted and twisted. It's been raining all day. It's been a beautiful day. And there's just a touch of breeze coming through. And so I can bring my mind into that present moment. I can observe a little bit blurry the movement of those trees. It can be anything at all. It can be somebody walking by you if you're sitting in a park in a city. It doesn't matter. Just kind of blur that and then allow yourself to feel yourself being the energy, being the air that is moving those leaves. You're not the leaf or you are the leaf, but that's you focusing in on being a thing again, and the things are the realm of the left brain. So you want to become the energy of life. Life is this magnificent combination of things and structure and energy that moves that structure. So uh, right down to you know every element of every cell of every part of our being is this combination of energy and uh, and particulate matter. So. We do have the ability to shift our focus, be persistent with it. The chatter might be going on, going, well, what time is it? I've only got five more minutes. So, well, how many times? Okay, you know, boy, it takes a long time for a minute to go by. And I'm not focusing on that. I'm still I'm still practicing because the beauty of the brain is that these are cells, cells functioning in circuitry. And the more we run a circuit, the more that circuit gets exercised, mm. it gets stronger, and then it begins to be to run on automatic, which is why we can't get out of the left hemisphere because it's well-trained and that's our, our automatic reactivity in the language and just the, the frame of reference. So we can train ourselves actually to spend more time in the consciousness of the present moment. And, and that's why I wrote this book, because if we know where we're going, if we know what it feels like inside of our body to be that character in that group of cells, then at any moment in time, we have the, we have the power to choose moment by moment which of those groups of cells we want to run based on hooking into the character profiles that each of those those cells represent. So it's a matter of, you know, refinement and differentiation of what's going on and, and how you look at what you are as a brain and as a living being. I think that's so important and something that people don't always realize that you brought up before is that we can retrain our brain. We can, I've seen it in myself, what I used to be like with my crazy thoughts compared to now and even something as simple as meditation. A lot of people come to me and say, I can't do meditation. My mind, I, I, it's too active. And I'm thinking that is the exact reason why you should be doing meditation. I mean, I went into meditation because my mind was crazily active as well. And it's completely changed it. And it's one way of being able to rewire your brain to an extent. Jill, when you had your stroke, you spoke about finding nirvana can you tell us what you meant by that and how that felt? Yeah, I like you. So um, let's say uh, the left brain got wiped out as it did. And as the left brain got wiped out, that group of cells defining the boundaries of where I began, begin and end, they went offline. So I immediately experienced this awareness of myself, my consciousness, as literally boundless. I was, I was enormous and expansive. And I shifted into this, this consciousness that I would say is the consciousness of the cosmic flow. Because Without those cells, that's all I am. I am that cosmic flow. And for, for eight years, I experienced myself to be in the, I experienced myself to be a fluid instead of a solid. That's how I would describe myself because we are a fluid. We are a fluid in relationship with everything else around us. And so when I allow myself to sit back and expand, and you know that expansive feeling, of course you do. You're in Australia. When you, when you stand at the edge of the, the ocean and you just look out over the vast beauty of what is, 
And you feel your heart expand as you look at all that horizon and all that beauty. And there's this incredible sense of gratitude that comes into us. And that right hemisphere, the feeling of that is one of love, just an incredible deep love through a sense of gratitude. And it's there, right there wired in the left thinking tissue, right thinking tissue of our right hemisphere. And it's always available for us to tap into. Some people find it by standing at the top of mountains. I find it everywhere because I allow myself to, first of all, I don't take myself very seriously, believe it or not, because, you know, I'm here, I can be gone in an instant. I'm just not that important. So my left hemisphere says, but I'm the center of the universe and the world really revolves around me. And the right hemisphere says, oh, honey, you, you know, I'm sorry, it's just a tiny little group of cells and we love you, but mm, we're so much more than you. And, um, and just allowing that sense of consciousness to expand, you know, there's, there's this feeling of deep love, just deep, deep, eternal love that I believe we all dissolve back into. And, and it's beautiful there. So when we allow ourselves to dissolve ourselves, the individual, the focus on me, all that stuff that that left brain is, is jabbering about, it's like, it's about stuff that isn't right here, right now relevant. And it's designed to keep me alive. I appreciate it. It's a fantastic tool, but it needs a break. And the beauty of meditation and the beauty of what you're offering people is the ability to stop the push, 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 and allow the pause to come in. Because as we pause, we become more open and expansive. We forget the details. We shift away. The little voice comes in and says, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And I say, oh, sweetheart, I love you. And it's okay. And I'm just going to keep my focus somewhere else. So we do have so much more power in order to find that incredible peaceful euphoria than we've ever been taught. And meditation is a beautiful tool to get there. It's so true. When I was meditating this morning and I had the shattering of my voice talking about something that had annoyed me and I, I, I could just hear it and hear it and hear it and I was actually saying to myself, you know that space that you can go into which is silent and it's so loving and it feels so beautiful and just ignore it. Ignore the voice, ignore the voice. And even though it was... It, it died down a lot and I was able to access that space and it took a little while, but I didn't give up, Jill. And when I got there, it is that feeling of absolute euphoria where there's that sense of absolute peace and just quietness. Quiet and I'm good with whatever is and I'm filled with gratitude that I exist mm. at all. And I, because I know life is, you know, a blip in eternity. I mean, we are here and then we're gone. And it's like, wow, I'm alive. I mean, that's one of the places I go in my meditation in order to access that. It's like, wow. I mean, for me, it's just this enormous, wow, I'm alive. I'm alive. But then, you know, I'm a cellular biologist, so I appreciate the life of the single cell. Somehow, the universe, in its ultimate wisdom, figured out how to create a semi-permeable membrane where some things would come in and some things would go out. And it, the cell, would be stimulated with receptors stippled all around its membrane by the external world. And then it would stimulate the external world. So to me, that's the true meaning of life is to stimulate and be stimulated by. We are life at a cellular level. That's all that's going on. Stimulate and be stimulated by. And then, you know, and then the cell wanted a little bit more stimulation. So it got as big as it could. And then eventually it couldn't get any bigger because it was it was too large as a structure. And so it divided itself and hooked itself together. And then eventually you got a whole bunch of cells hooking together by like a neural network, which is like, you know, like a 
jellyfish where something happens and then it runs right through all the rest of the, the cells. I mean, we are this magnificent collection of cells. And then, you know, then we get this reptilian on-off system with legs and, and, and arms and we can run around on land. And, and then we add new tissue and we add emotional tissue and we end up with mammals and, and then they're warm-blooded. And then human comes along and we add thinking tissue on top of that emotional tissue. And here we are simply trying to work the kinks out of all these 50 trillion beautiful <laughs> molecular geniuses and we're a mess because we're just you know we're a mess we're trying to work out the thinking with the emotion on each side the thinking with the thinking the emotion and the emotion i mean ultimately provided we stay on the planet long enough we are evolving ourselves into being a whole brain. And to me, whole brain is the ability to choose moment by moment which group of cells I want to run. So if I want to sit down or go for a walk in nature and I want to go feel peaceful euphoria, I can do it like that. Or if I want to go to work and be punctual and do the job and do my duties and be my A-type personality, I can do that. Or if I get emotionally triggered and I'm not very happy, rah, 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 rah. I can do that or I don't have to do that because I don't have to react and I don't have to run my auto, my automatic reactivity. I can train other parts of my brain to rescue me yeah. with self-soothing. We are this amazing creatures. Amazing. I agree with you. I think we are going back to, you know, what your fabulous new book is about, which is the whole brain living. I think we have been a mess for for a while, some of us. And we are getting back to that state of just educating ourselves on how to live in, you know, a, a more euphoric and wholesome way. Jill, yeah. when you had the stroke, it took you a long time to recover. You were in hospital for a while. What did you notice about the energy of people that were coming to visit you whilst you are in hospital? Well, it, it was really a profound experience because after I experienced the hemorrhage, um, the hemorrhage wiped out my left language centers. So all that chatter, all that, all those details of the external world, they were completely gone. I had no relationship to the external world. I didn't know what a mother was, much less who my mother was. Um, so those cells had wiped out. Language was absolutely silent. And I sat in an absolutely silent mind for five weeks, uh, two and a half weeks before surgery, and then two and a half weeks after surgery. And in the complete absence of sound and any language inside of my own brain, all I had was perception of energy. I shifted completely into the realm of the present moment. And so I picked up more on facial language and intonation of voice. I had no idea what you were saying to me. You could call me Jill. You could ask me what my name was. I didn't know what a name was, much less what my name was. So I had zero information. So all I could observe was how you spoke to me. And so you pick up really quickly, you know, if somebody is, is, is raising their voice. And this is one of the things that people do with stroke survivors. Can you hear me now, honey? Can you can you tell can you squeeze my hand? And I'm looking at you thinking, I'm not deaf, you know. I, I, I have aphasia. I can't understand what you're saying. And um and in the meantime, you're yelling at me and I'm I'm feeling like you're not a safe place for me because I'm picking up on this really intense energy. And when it came to my caregivers, uh, there was this one nurse, for example, who, who was very kind and very gentle. And she looked me in the eye and she, she was very slow with me because she, I, I needed her to be very slow. And she was kind. There was just a, an emanating kind energy about her. And I trusted her because I, I, I felt that I could. She was present. She was aware. She was engaging. And then I had another nurse who came in on a different shift and, you know, she put the food on the tray and, and she left the room. She didn't even look at me. She didn't do anything. And, and then she came in and she gave me a medication. Well, because I didn't trust her energy, I didn't trust her. And I didn't want to take anything that she wanted to give me because I felt that I couldn't trust her. She was she wasn't present. She wasn't connecting. And so all I could do was pick up on the energetics 
Um, so please take responsibility for the energy you bring into any space. You know, you walk into a meeting. Well, are you on the phone? Are you distracted? Are you like that? Are you impatient? Are you in a hurry? Are you looking at anybody? Are you like sucking your down your, your coffee? I mean, or are you actually present with people? We need to connect with one another in order to truly communicate and, and build something together. And if you're just off somewhere else, then it's like, why are you even in the room? Oh, it's so important, Jill. It's such an important message. I feel people's energy too much, if anything. And it's a really interesting thing because like you said, if someone's really anxious or they're in a hurry to go somewhere and they're not being present, it is like electrical between you and the person. And it actually, I, I feel uncomfortable. Painful. Painful. And it's like, I, I need to walk away from this person. They're making exactly. me feel anxious as well. I mean, exactly. I need to protect myself from that, but I can feel that exactly. energy. But then there's that beautiful energy of someone that just exudes love and is there and is sweet. And like you said, it's not the it's not the language they use. It's just their presence. It's, yes. It is such a beautiful thing. And if everyone yes. can learn yes. to use their energy properly and just be aware of your energy, especially around children. Yeah. Children, are, oh. their energy is just remarkable. And if you can feel that and the love that, that kids exude because they don't have egos like we do, or they, they haven't tapped into them so much yet, it is such a such a blessing to be around people that have that beautiful energy that surrounds them. Yeah. I think that's what just, you know, for those of us who are loving, oh, when we come across another, it's like, I don't, I don't even need to talk to you. You know, we don't need to exchange any details about who we are in the world because that is so insignificant. And the beauty is that we all have this at the core of our being. We all have the capacity to be this most beautiful light energy of what we are in the world and to honor that loving connection. And you're right. I mean, that's what keeps us going. And you do need to protect yourself from the energy of those around you because some then they find that light and they just want to suck that light and it's like oh gotta go absolutely i spend a lot of time stepping back from people uh when and i spent you know because because i'm as an author i'm i'm out here with pretty much no one except family or i'm out in bigger audiences as a keynoter and and you know the energy of the mass i enjoy as a mass but boy, when I feel that individual energy coming hard at me, I step back. I got to create space. I just yes. have to. It is. It's so important to create space because I actually felt like for myself, until someone brought it up to me, I didn't even realize that I was taking on people's energy and not dissimilar to you. People obviously come and talk to me a lot, which is beautiful. And I, I appreciate that. But then there were times where it was it was sometimes too much and it was overwhelming right. me and I right. felt that I was then feeling that energy that they had brought to me for the rest of the day. So as you said, stepping right. back and kind of stepping into your own energy and light is so unbelievably yes. important. Yes, it is. You know, take responsibility for the energy you bring and take responsibility for what energy you let come into your environment. If you're in an environment, even, you know, for just the normal living of life, if you're in an environment and someone is angry and they are are exuding this, you know, venomous, energetic, leave the room, get out of the space, go for a walk, do something healthy, take responsibility for what you allow to be in your space. We are not plants. We are not stuck in one place. We have legs. We can move and we can choose what Mm. and how we want to be. So important. Jill, Whole Brain Living, as we mentioned, is your new book. What made you want to write it? It uh, it has so many, so many beautiful messages. So I had, after I gave my TED Talk, I gave, uh, in 2008, I gave a TED Talk called My Stroke of Insight. Which can I just add, I have watched it many times. I watched it a few years ago and I was watching it as a refresher the other the other day. Not only is it one of the most beautiful TED Talks I've ever watched, I was by myself in my study and it finished. 
not only did I have a tear in my eye, I noticed that I started clapping at the end. <laughs> I was like, Sarah, you're clapping to a screen. But that is how much. It's when the audience all stand up and start clapping at you. And I was so overwhelmed and just thought it was the most beautiful thing that I've ever watched that without realising I'm sitting there in a silent room clapping to you, Jill. So everyone must watch this TED Talk. <laughs> I, well, thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. And, um, uh, well, that, that TED Talk, uh, of course, changed my life. Yeah. I wanted to give the audience, uh, at the end of that talk, I said, we have the power to choose moment by moment, who and how we want to be in the world. Right now, I can step into the consciousness of my right brain, blah, blah, blah. Or I can step into the consciousness of my left brain. And um, to me, that was the gift. That was the message. I wanted people to walk away with a real sense of reverence for their own brain and the beauty of what we are as living beings. And, um, and it turned out that after that, um, so that was the first TED Talk to ever go viral. So Ted and I got famous together. Wow. That's my claim to fame. And, um, and then I had over 300,000 people from all around the world write to me and say, how do I do that? How do I do that? How do I find that peaceful euphoria? And I thought about it, 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 and I didn't have an answer to that question because I got whacked out of my left hemisphere into this bliss, and then I, I climbed my way back into the left brain, so I knew how to get back into the left brain, but I didn't know how to get out of the left brain, tell you how to get out of the left brain into the right brain. And I didn't know, and I didn't know, and I didn't know. And then I was giving a keynote at a conference, and I said, you know, I love presenting about the brain in this day and age because people understand the anatomy of the brain. People love to talk about the brain, and they know about the amygdala, and they know about the hippocampi. But the fact of the matter is that we have two amygdala. And there was an audible gasp in the room. And I realized in that moment that people understand we have emotional tissue and they think we only have one set of emotional tissue. And what that means is that our conflicting emotions don't make any sense whatsoever. And so we're confused. We're confused and we're more confused. And it's like, oh my God, if people knew that we had two emotional systems and we had two thinking modules of cells and they understood what each of those groups of cells did, then all of a sudden they would be able to differentiate their own characters inside of their own brain, which we all have because they're anatomically based. And oh my gosh, then the voices in my head and the conversations and the feelings and the values would all of a sudden make a whole lot more sense and people would find more peace. And that's why I wrote this book. This book is, is uh, Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice and the Four Characters That Drive Our Life. So it's like, wow. And that's exactly what I'm finding is that people are identifying with each of these four characters inside of themselves. And then it's like, oh, my God, I make so much more sense to myself. Yes. And it's like, well, that was my character one. Well, that was my character three. Well, you were off in your character two. And then I responded with my character two. And then we had a big old fight. <laughs> and it was like, all of a sudden, we're speaking a whole new language with one another. And because in every relationship now, there's four of you and there's four of me. Yeah. So every relationship is negotiating the needs and values of eight different characters. So which of our characters like one another? Which characters inside of my own head like one another? What's the relationship like between my, my very judgmental, thinking, rational left brain and my little playful character three in my right brain who just wants to go play and be a mess and have a good time. And, and if my character one in my logical left brain thinks my character three is a waste of time, then they're not going to let me play much. And then I'm going to just run that stress circuitry over and over and over again. I'm never going to get the pause. I'm never going to get to play. I'm never going to find Nirvana. And I'm not very happy about that. And it's like, Rrr. so it's, 
I wrote it because I truly believe that this book is the reason why I survived. Yes. And uh, it took a long time. It took, what, 13 years uh, to figure it out after that TED Talk, after the first book. Uh, but it's been 23 years. It took me 23 years to figure this out. Wow. <laughs> but now it's out of my head and into yours. Well, that's so, it. you know, it's beautiful. You touched on the different characters of the brain. Can you explain them to us? Yes. Yeah, so if you think about the brain, the brain is going to have uh, two emotional systems, the le- left emotion and the right emotion. And then we're going to have the left thinking tissue and the right thinking tissue. So if we take our brain and we separate it out like this, then we're going to have character one is left thinking. Left thinking is that A-type personality. It deals with details. It defines the boundaries of where I begin. And and it defines what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. It gives me a, a, a rigid box within which it wants me to live. It has language and it has my ego. So we all know that part of ourselves. Yeah. Do you know that part of yourself, Sarah? Absolutely. Too well, Jill, too well. Yeah, most of us know that part really well. And then, so that's character one. Character two is the pain from our past. So the pain from our past, little character two, this is a group of cells that it brings information in from the present moment. It compares it to every experience we've ever had in the past, and it is looking for a reason to say no push it away. I don't like it. I don't want it. It's not like me. It doesn't feel familiar. It doesn't feel safe. Uh, So it might be the color of your skin. It might be the language you speak. It might be the spices you use. It might be whatever it is. I don't feel safe. I don't want it. And and so I'm not going to be very happy about it. And it's emotion. It does, and it'll never mature. And it doesn't have language. So it yells and screams and gets loud and it fight or flight and it runs away and or it runs toward and attacks. Do you know that part of yourself, Sarah? Yes. Again, too well. <laughs> exactly. It's so interesting, so, the part of your, how it, it references something from your past, because that is so true. And we don't even realize that that's happening. Like we're in the present moment. And we think right. about something from the past and it, 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 it deflects from the joy of the present moment. It, it's all about analysis. Bring it in. Have I ever seen it before? Give me a reason to push it away. Yeah. And, and the left brain, you know, we needed that a lot when we were like, you know, uh, out on the prairie mm. and a lion was coming by and it's like a smell. Hmm. Smells like cucumbers. Hmm. Poisonous snake. Push it away. You know, that kind of reactivity is what that is designed for. But now we're in a civilization. So can we behave in a more civilized way? Well, this part of our brain is not designed for us to be civilized. This is designed for us to be at odds with one another, push it away. It doesn't feel safe. Absolutely. Pretty amazing. Amazing. Character three, let's go to the right hemisphere. Right here, right now, right hemisphere. The emotion of the present moment, right here, right now, it is exciting. Right here, right now, is it's, a, it's an exciting and interesting place. And I don't bring the negative judgment of preconceived notion. Oh, it's raining. Oh, I wanted it to be sunny today. It's like, it's raining. Let's go play in the rain. <laughs> let's go have a good time. Let's go stomp in the mud puddles. Let's go jump in the lake. Let's go, let's go look at those snakes out there and follow them around and see where they go. So It's experiential. So this is our little playful self that is creative because it doesn't have the right and wrong, good and bad. You got to draw, you got to color inside of the lines and you got to make the tree leaves green. No, to your right hemisphere character three, if you want blue leaves, honey, you just make those (laughs) leaves blue. Nobody cares. So this is our fun little experiential. It is also alarm, alarm, alert, alert in the immediate moment. If a lion jumps into our presence, we need to get out of its way. If a truck is running towards us down the street, we need to get out of the way, especially if it's going to run through a mud puddle, you know. Um, and so, so that's our character three. Who's your little care, uh, playful? What do you do for fun? 
Oh, it's a laugh a lot, um, muck around. Yes. You know, you become really childlike. You, it's, yes. it's just that that absolute playful, like you said, just becoming a kid again. Exactly. And it's wonderful. And we all have that character and we need to nurture yes. that character. And if the character one judgment comes online and says, you know, little character three, you're a waste of time, then then it's going to dominate with stress as opposed to allow this part of the brain to do its job. And its job is to break the stress, be in the present, be playful, use up some energy, buzz us a little. And if you have an adrenaline rush, junky kind of thing going on, that's what's going on in that character. It's so true. You know, the other day we're at work and it can be quite serious as workplaces are and we were mucking around. I can't remember what it was about, but it was absolutely playful. We laughed so hard for probably about a good hour. It was the most ridiculous stuff we were talking about, but we had so much fun. And look, that doesn't happen often, but when it does, going into that part of your brain, I I mean, I I was then leaving for the day and they were like, thank you so much for being here and bringing this laughter to us. And they were part of the laughter as well. But I walked out and I felt so fulfilled. It was just so joyous. Exactly. You felt connected and bonded to them. You probably had better conversations with one another because you were open to possibility and you were out of the right, wrong, good, bad judgment, serious nature of that left hemisphere. It's our break. We have to have a break. Yeah, it, We have to have the pause as a biological creature. And that's what the right brain right here, right now. It's funny that the present moment becomes the pause because the left hemisphere is somewhere else, some other time or space. And then the thinking tissue of that right hemisphere is the character four. And that thinking tissue at its core does not have an ego because that's in the left hemisphere. It doesn't have language that's in the left hemisphere. And it's reading facial language and and verbal intonation. It's looking at the big picture, the context of how things relate to one another. And there's a deep inner sense of peace and love and gratitude. And if you ever want to get into your character three, your fun part, get into joy. Find Mm. your joy. If you want to get into your character four, Go into your gratitude, just simple gratitude of, oh, my gosh, I'm alive. Mm. I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm a cellular, amazing, all amazing thing. I mean, just that sense of gratitude will take you into that beauty. What do you think, Jill, like knowing everything about the different areas of our brain now? in cultivating a spectacular life so we can live happily, how do we best manage our brain when the different parts of it start to chatter to us? So I I, I call my brain team, these four characters, they're my brain team, and they take a brain huddle. And any of my four characters can call a brain huddle at any moment in time. And I encourage people to, once you really get familiar with your characters, to call a brain huddle 20 or 30 times a day. The beauty of the brain is, again, the more often you run a circuit, Mm. the stronger that circuit becomes. And what we're trying to do then is get all these characters in communication with one another so that they know one another, they respect one another, they value one another, and they take turns passing the microphone around of who am I going to be in the present moment. And so I call it a brain huddle. Brain is an acronym, B-R-A-I-N. Of course it is. And so B is stands for breath. Bring your mind to the present moment. Breath is the first thing we do when we're born and the last thing we do mm. when we die. Breath. It's a present moment experience. So bring your mind to the present moment. Breath. And let that out. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I have a body. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, my knees are crossed. Oh, my gosh, I have a body. I'm here. I'm present. Okay. 
And then R stands for recognize which character, which of our four characters called the brain huddle. Well, if I'm here working with you and I call a brain huddle, then my character won. She's the one who got me here on time and she's the one who talks and has details and blah, blah, blah. And so my character one just called this brain huddle. Great. But I can be out swimming and I can say brain huddle. And then it was like my character three calls the brain huddle. Or I can be out in nature and it's like brain huddle, you know, just bring them all together. And, and, and or my character too, I, I can have something happen and I can have reactivity and I can be unhappy. And it's like all of a sudden it's like two comes online and it's like, I want to huddle. Everybody, I want to huddle. So recognize, be breath, bring your mind to the present moment. R, recognize which character called the brain huddle. B, R, A, appreciate the fact that I have four of me. There are four of me in here. So if my character one, you know, she's good. But when I have character two and all the energy in my brain goes into my hostility or my anger mm. or my fear or my alarm, alarm, alert, alert. We know how powerful that is. It's like a vacuum cleaner that just sucks all the energy to that little character too. So character two can call a brain huddle and the others then know what to do in order to help. So R, recognize which one calls it. A, appreciate there's four of us in here. I is inquire. Well, which one do I want to be? Mm. In this moment, which one do I want to be? Who wants the microphone? Well, character three says, well, I'd like to go jump in the lake. Okay, is there any reason why not character one? And character <laughs> one goes, no, we got 20 minutes. Go jump in the lake. So we go jump in the lake, you know? So it's a negotiation of what's going on. And then N is navigate. Navigate moment by moment. Okay, what's most appropriate for the next moment? Well, it might be, okay, I'm going to go jump in the lake. Character three wants to go swim. And then all of a sudden, so we're on our way out. And then the phone rings, right? And it's like, uh-oh, character one's got to get back online. We got to go back to work. So you got to navigate life yes. moment by moment. But when you've got your whole brain online and they're communicating with one another and they're your team and... You know, it's the life you want to live. That's the power of your brain. And that's the power of knowing your four characters and how to put them in huddle and how to have that conversation and how to be a healthy human being. That's so true. We spoke before briefly about meditation and training the brain to kind of become quieter. Uh, if you're an anxious person or you overthink, what are the other techniques you should use to be able to silence the mind? I don't think the goal is to silence the mind. Mm. I think the goal is to give voice to the different characters so they all become equally strong. Yeah. And then they make the decision. Because I can say, um, I can say to my character one, who's, you know, chatty, and I can say to my character two, she's also chatty, but she's not happy chatty. And um, I can say to my character one, I call mine Helen, hell on wheels. She gets it done. I can say, Helen, um, I need a break. I just need a break. And Helen's going, yeah, we all need a break. And so <laughs> Helen then realizes the value that we need a break because we need a break. We've been sitting here for an hour and a half and I don't have any blood in my bum. And I just, I got to get some water and I need to walk outside and I need to take off my glasses and I need to get out of the, off the computer and whatever it is. And Helen recognizes, you know, if I have a healthy relationship with my character three and I'd let my encourage my character three to get up and go, I'm better for it. Yes. Helen performs better for it. And character four makes us all very happy. And character two, when she comes online and she's in her hostility and she's not happy, she desperately needs to be loved. And the louder she screams, the more scared the people in the external world usually get. So we get isolation instead of what we really need, which is we're desperate for connection. Yes. And it's like, okay, I can connect with my own little character too. Character one can come on and say, okay, little character two, do I, is there something I need to do? do? Is there something I need to fix? Because character one is a fix-it machine. And then Karen and the little character two says no. And then character four comes in and says, oh, little two, we got you. We got you. We're here. We're here for you. 
breathe deeply? Do you need to cry? Do you need me to hear you? Do you need me to hold you? Do you need me to take you out and let you walk? No, I just want to yell at that person. And I just want to, it's okay, sweetheart. You treat that little child inside of ourselves with the parts of ourselves that are adults. And we do it in a loving and soothing way. And I can guarantee you, Sarah, when you create a healthy relationship between that little unhappy character two and that beautiful, magnificent, loving character four, you know what it means to self-soothe yourself Mm. and you do not have to stay inside of your own emotional pain unless you choose to. It's so interesting. It's it, I, I've experienced that before and you actually feel like you become a child again and you're almost being held by that other side of your brain. You are being held by that other side of your brain. Yeah. It is just loving you. Beautiful. And we all have access to that. We have access to all four. And that's why for me, um, you know, the anatomy of choice. Mm. What a concept. Yes. You know, people say, well, Jill, do you think you could have made a better choice? And it's like, well, don't you think if I'd have thought of a better choice, I'd have made a better choice? <laughs> and it's like, these are how we know. What's my character one going to choose? What's my character two going to choose based on what they value? Yes. What's my character three going to choose? What's my character four going to choose? And then in the big picture of the brain huddle, as soon as, as soon, this is the power. As soon as I call a brain huddle, whichever character is calling the brain huddle, as soon as I call the brain huddle and character four comes into the huddle, I know I'm going to make a loving choice. I know I'm going to make my best, highest self choice. I'm not going to call that person a name. I'm not going to call that person. I'm not going to write him a nasty text. I'm not going to be mean to that character. I'm not going to be resentful. I'm going to understand that that's their character too. And their character too is in pain. And um, and I'm big enough to not only love my character too, but I'm I'm big enough to love their character too. Yes. And when we understand that, Jill, things completely change. The world changes yeah. one brain at a time. Mm. That's the power of who we are. Absolutely. It's so beautiful. We are so beautiful, Sarah. We are such beautiful, beautiful creatures. I know. And if we could all just harness this and embrace the beauty, we would all live such a miraculous existence. Exactly. And... And we would save the planet because we would realize we have a symbiotic relationship Mm. with what's going on with the world. And the right hemisphere consciousness knows that. It's the left hemisphere that says, no, everything is a piece of, is a a pie. And, you know, it's limited the amount that's there and I have to get mine. Um, Yeah. It's a different complete value structure in, in how we exist. And, you know, you touched on it earlier when you had the stroke, you felt that oneness and not the separateness. And it's something that I talk a lot about on the podcast, about when we see each other as being the same, not separate, we live in a more euphoric existence. Why do you think we've become, as a society, so separate from one another? Well, I think that that we we skewed our our value structure to the left brain. Yeah. And it is the left brain that is about me and mine. Mm. And, and so I become a me and mine and you become a you and yours. And now you're the other. You're not my other. You're the other. You're, you're the other. You're what I'm competing with. The left brain competes for positioning in the, that hierarchy. And, um, um, you know, that's one set of values. Uh, but the other set of values is that we are one big energy ball yeah. and we are all connected. And you may be on the opposite side of the planet from me, but our energies are blending with one another. And that's true for every human being in between us and all around this planet. And when we really recognize in the consciousness of the right hemisphere, there is no separation in energy, then we really are one human family. We are an energy ball in relationship to this planet. And, and we're making choices skewed to the value structure of the left brain. So true, Jill. What's the best advice that you have ever been given? 
The best advice I have ever been given. Don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> you surely live that. Jill, yeah. what is the most mystical experience that you have ever had? Mm. When I experienced the stroke, I all but died that day. Yeah. I was as disconnected from my body as an energy as a focus energy as anybody could possibly be. And I, it would take eight years before I felt myself as an individual. Mm. So for eight years, I got to feel and experience myself as a part of the cosmos, clear that all of us are energy connected to one another. And after eight years, that group of cells that was the focal point, fascinatingly, for the arteriovenous malformation for my stroke happened. The, that was the first to blow, and it was the last to recover. That's how the brain recovers itself. And, um, and it, was, it was a big awareness when I realized I was a solid I perceived myself to be a solid again, because as a solid, I was separate. Mm. And although I knew that I wasn't separate, the profound nature of that group of cells that defines me as an ego, as an individual, can be so destructive and counterproductive to the collective consciousness of love. And... Um, uh, so I uh, made an agreement with myself that I would recover enough to be able to communicate with my fellow man again in the external world, but that my value structure would always remain the consciousness of the bigger picture of the universe. Oh, Jill, that's incredible. What's your mm. favorite prayer? Um. Beautiful. That's my favorite prayer. The language of the world. Jill, what's your greatest hope for society today? I truly believe that when we better understand what's going on inside of our heads, I truly believe that every person who understands their four characters and every person who's willing to, to carry on a brain huddle inside of their own head they will want and they will essentially kind of demand that their parents, their spouses, their children, their coworkers all have the same language because the power of knowing who I am gives me the power to take responsibility for who I am. And as soon as that character four is engaged, I'm my best self. Mm. So I really believe my hope for humanity is that we learn, we take this next leap of differentiation of who's who inside of me and create healthy relationships, not just between the emotions and the thinking, but the left and the right and the right with the left and all of it in relationship with the body, in relationship with the planet. I truly believe that the better we understand who we are, then um, we'll show up for ourselves. I think we all want peace. Mm, I think we all want love. I think we all want beauty. I think we all want whatever that little character too is desperate for and is acting out as hostility and anxiety and fear and anger and all of that. That's a part of who we are, but it's only a part of who we are. And we have the power inside of ourselves to love that part mm. and to bring ourselves into the rest of what we are as living beings. Yeah. We're human beings. We have this incredible brain, but we didn't come in with a manual on how to get it right. And yeah. this is the closest thing to a true roadmap of who and how we want to be than anything I've ever seen. What is a life of greatness to you? A life of love. Our number one job is to love one another. Mm. I believe that heart and soul, every ounce of my being, 
We are here. Our number one job is to love one another. And everything else is a whole bunch of static neurons that really kind of need to be listened to and tamed down and organized. Jill Bolsey-Taylor, thank you for using your stroke to then change the lives of so many people. Your work is so unbelievably profound. Thank you for the beautiful conversation today. Thank you, Sarah. And, uh, you know, we really are, you know, the, the beauty of this conversation is you understand that love and you understand that it is attainable and we are that love and everything else is kind of the static crazy in our brain but it's not all we are and we can train ourselves to bring our best selves back so thank you for the work you're doing in order to help people not just find that space in meditation but to laugh. Oh, thank you, Jill. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers Matt Curry and Nicola Sitch. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.